The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Yes, I believe this is the second week in your series through to Timothy. So I assume that you know some of the context, or probably a fair bit of the context. But I'm going to have to go over it a little bit. And it's, it's such a, I think, profound and unique, kind of rare and unique context that this book has that it almost bears repeating every single week of the sermon series because of the kind of the, the tone, I think, that it gives this entire um, letter that Paul is writing. And, and the context is, is not just that the Apostle Paul is writing it, that's not rare. It's not just that he's writing it from prison, again, not that rare, but that he's writing it from prison with his imminent death about to happen. And so he says it in chapter 4, verse 6, he writes, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Right, so the, the, the death of the great Apostle Paul hangs over this letter. So that's, that's how you read 2 Timothy. I think you have to have that. Right? You read it with a sense of final words, last words. Nothing is by mistake. They are chosen, and they are important words. This is how the Apostle Paul dies. He dies with these things on his mind and on his heart. That's a profound insight because Paul says, says, like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I think in some sense he says, here's how to die. Like, here's the kinds of things to have on your mind, have on your heart as you prepare for your own death. And so he writes, and, and, and he writes to his beloved son, Timothy. That's how it's addressed. He says, to Timothy, my beloved child. So you see, you feel the, 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 the love in this, in this letter of his relationship with Timothy. Timothy was his son, and Paul was his father. So you would have seen last week that Paul, uh, sorry, Timothy inherits his faith from his grandmother through his mother and two kids. So there's no mention of his father. But Timothy is not fatherless. He has Paul. And though Paul has no biological children, he's not childless. He's got Timothy. Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus. And I think we know a few things about Timothy. And one of the things we know is he's probably not the kind of guy that the modern pastoral search community is super excited about. You know, I just can't imagine that they go, oh, we have found a guy for a pastor at church. Uh, let me just describe him to you. He is very young and inexperienced. He is quite timid, and he has some tummy issues. Uh, of course, this, you know, you've got to take a bit of wine to your stomach. You've got a bit of anxiety, but this is our God. Right? Okay. Look, but he is their God. Right? He is the pastor in Ephesus. He was a godly man. He was a godly man, though he is about to face, and he is facing certain difficulties in that church, which is going to require timid and afraid and perhaps anxious Timothy to show great courage and great strength. And so Paul writes to his beloved child Timothy, who's pastoring a church which the Apostle Paul himself planted, so he loves the church, he loves the pastor of that church, and Paul knows there's things going on in that church. And Timothy, you timid Timothy, you are going to have to show courage, you're going to have to be strong, and these are the things you're going to need to know if you're going to survive in this pastoral ministry in this church, and not just survive, but thrive. And so the message that we have in just our, our verses, chapter 1, verses 8 to 18, the burden that 
tip that Paul has for Timothy is that you would be essentially unashamed. That you'd be unashamed of the gospel, that you'd be unashamed of the people of God who perhaps suffer for the sake of the gospel. Um, now he has to say, do not be unashamed because I assume that there is temptation for Timothy and for us to be ashamed. To be ashamed of the gospel. When you live in a culture that is opposed to the things that you believe, that's just the natural dynamic, right? They want to shame you for believing things about the gospel, and so the temptation is always there to, to buy in. Yeah, okay, yeah, I start to, I'm starting to feel ashamed of the gospel. There's an Aussie um, pastor, Stephen McAlpine, who wrote a book recently called Being the Bad Guys. Right? Being the Bad Guys. And the main kind of idea thrust of the book is that there was once a time where the Christians were the good guys. Right? In the general culture, people that you didn't believe in and didn't buy into Christianity, you were glad that the Christians were there with their morality, like that was good for our society. But that, that's not necessarily the case anymore. And it shifted to what he says, we were just became one of the guys. We weren't the good guys, but we weren't just one of the guys. Right? So maybe not a sting, but we were allowed to exist in between, you know, with, with the other worldviews. And we had a bit of confidence that in the battle of worldviews, we got a pretty good one. We won't win out. Now, but we are not no longer in many circles just one of the guys. He says, now we have become the bad guys. That is, the culture finds certain beliefs, certain ethics, certain doctrines that Christians believe actually detrimental to the, the societal project that they have. That the Christians are actually become the bad guys. I think we can overstate the persecution that we have as Christians in, in our culture, but that's there. Right? That's there, and we need to be, I think, unashamed of the gospel. That's what Paul's going to say. So Paul encourages Timothy not to be ashamed. He does it in two ways. First, he reminds Timothy of what the gospel is. And secondly, he's going to remind Timothy of the claims that the gospel makes on his life. Namely, to communicate the gospel, to suffer for the gospel, and to guard the gospel. Okay, so first of all, Timothy, I think uh, Paul gives Timothy kind of the summary statement in verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So that's the title verse of our whole passage. Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed. That's, that's the whole point of the whole sermon. Don't be ashamed. Of what? Two things he says. Firstly, the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. But why does Paul use the phrase that he uses? Because he uses, he says, he calls it the testimony of our Lord. Why? Why testimony of our Lord? Because he's, he's reminding Timothy that the gospel is actually a witness to Christ. That it's a story about him. What you would be ashamed of if you were ashamed of the gospel is actually the the witness of, of our Lord. Every Christian becomes a witness to Christ. And you might be like the blind man who like didn't know much, didn't know much about this Lord. All I know is I was blind and now I see. Right? That's that's all he knew. Like, like God did a work. And that is God, God is the hero of every testimony. Every testimony before someone says that it says before they get baptized, the hero is not them. And their, their genius and their humility or their cleverness or their morality or their church attendance. The hero of the story, of course, is Christ. We are witnesses. We have a testimony of, he says, our Lord. 
our Lord Timothy, the supreme ruler, the Lord himself. That's our story. Would you be ashamed of this? The second thing not to be ashamed of, he says, is more of me, his prisoner. Who's prisoner? Rome's prisoner? Just pull your, pull your in Rome. You're, in, you're, you're a prisoner in Rome in chains. And he says, I am his prisoner, the Lord's prisoner. Why? Because he's a prisoner according to the purposes of the Lord. It's the Lord's will, calls it, for him to be a prisoner. He is in prison for his ministry doing the work that the Lord called him to. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, that's God's perspective on my imprisonment. Don't be ashamed of me as in, in my chains in prison. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. How can you be ashamed of that? And so to put those two things together, you cannot be unashamed of the Lord. Like if you are unashamed of the Lord, then you'll be unashamed of the people of God who are, who are faithful to the Lord. That won't work. Right? If you are ashamed of God, well then, yeah, okay, then you might become ashamed of the people of God. <clears throat> or to push it a bit further, you couldn't say, I am unashamed of the gospel, I am unashamed of the testimonies of the Lord, but the people of God, I am ashamed of when they follow Him. It doesn't make any sense. Though the two go together, we have to know that we might be shamed for the gospel, but we can never be ashamed of the gospel. We may get shamed, we must never be ushered. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So then Paul gives the alternative. Don't be ashamed. Testimony of the Lord. Be his prisoner. But what? Share in the suffering the gospel by the power of God. So share, he says, share with, you know, if you're sharing, it must be multiple people you experience this yet, with Paul. So you'd be unashamed of Paul if he begins to share with him in the sufferings, and you'd be unashamed of the gospel because, again, he says, you're sharing in the suffering for the gospel. And Paul says to do that by, by, like, depending on, in reliance upon, like without which you will not be able to do this by the power of God. Do you want to know the power of God? Do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Uh, there is a lot of talk about the power of God and wanting to know the power of God in your life. We have powerful people and powerful ministries and powerful signs and powerful wonders and powerful you know, power evangelism and everyone's very into power. And then Paul says, well, one way that you could, if you want to experience the power of God in your life, and maybe a neglected aspect of experiencing the power of God in your life, willingly suffer for the sake of the gospel. Which we don't basically just think of the martyrs. You're straight away. I think of martyrs, like I wanted to call one of my children Polycarp. <laughs> and they, 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 I, I, didn't, I didn't win that. What do you call Polly or Carpy or? Anyway, Polycarp, that um, he stood before a crowd in 8155 screaming for his death and was offered and offered and offered for camp. Right, for camp your faith and you will be saved. And he says, Eight and six years have I served him, and he has done me no injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and my saviour? How did he do it? 
pulls up. That's the power of God. Right? Hugh Latimer says to Nicholas Ridley, some thousand or so years later in 1555, as they're about to be burnt at the stake, play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. How do you do it? That's the power of God. How are you going to do it? In just in your work situations, just, just I mean, that's martyrdom. We don't, you know, like just in little moments of like testing or being, you know, shamed for your belief in the gospel. How are you going to say it? Again, the power of God. So verse 9, Paul continues to expand on the gospel and as if to say, would you be ashamed of this? Like they're asking us why, would you be ashamed of this gospel? Like Paul describes it. Who saved us? Who called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We'll break it down. First he says, who saved us? The first and primary and central reality of the gospel is that he saves, that Jesus is a saviour before he can be anything else to us. You know, before he can give us meaning and purpose and significance and, and kind of like just a point to our lives and all the things that we might be helped by that the gospel truly does give us, first and foremost, we must have this, otherwise it doesn't make no sense. He must be our saviour. Right? That's what the angel said to the, to the shepherds on, his, like, on the day of his birth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David our saviour, who is Christ the Lord. The angel told Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And now Paul sits in a prison at the end of his life after three long missionary journeys, a lifetime it feels, of serving the Lord and preaching hundreds, maybe thousands of sermons. And he says, you know what's still at the center of the gospel? It has not changed. He's a savior. He's a savior. Not from prison. Like he's a saviour and I'm in prison about to die. That, a prison would be too small, too temporal. But he's a saviour from sin. The power and the penalty of sin. And it's the same message today. You're in Calandra. Time has not made it different. Living next to the beach doesn't make it different. <laughs> A place where everyone comes for holidays doesn't make it different. It's unpopularity does not make it different. It's the same gospel. Christ is a savior. Second, he says, and called us to a holy calling. See, once we got forgiven, once we got saved, he did not just leave us there. He calls us to live a holy life. It's a holy calling. We are called by God. He calls us. But Paul says it's a holy calling that. He consecrates us. He sets us apart as his children. He sets us apart for himself to live holy lives. I hope we don't begrudge that God does not just save us and then let us be. I hope we're so glad that he makes us holy. He longs for us to become holy. I think holiness gets a bad rap in our day. Like, oh, you're so holy. Like, it's a bit, like, sometimes in some Christian terms, like, I'm cool if you get, if you're trying to be too holy. It's like, Lord, Make me holy. Like that's the beautiful life. That you would make me holy. Lord, make this sinner as holy as this sinner could possibly be. Okay. 
Next one. Third aspect of the gospel, he says, about how we receive the gospel. He says, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So it's, it's, it's not, how you receive the gospel, it's not one thing, but it is another. It is not, he says, because of our works. You were not saved because of your own goodness, your own morality, your own cleverness, your humility, your church attendance, how well you're known in society, your fame, your influence. So you can breathe a sigh of relief, it's not a But it is something else. What does it say? But it is because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age began. And that's a lot. For those who stands as the active hand behind everything in salvation, who is it? His own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when? Before the ages began. Now, we weren't there. We were not alive before the ages began. And yet that is when we received his purposes and his grace in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. Now, I know the doctrine of election and predestination is a controversial one. And, we don't, and I don't expect you to answer all the questions that that does raise right here. Paul doesn't. Paul just kind of states it as a, like, for what purpose? Well, remember, Paul's trying to say to you, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's such the myth. Because you're saved not by your own words, you're saved by Christ that came to you before you even existed. Right? It's amazing that the actual, that this doctrine, which kind of, for us, can sometimes be, I'm a bit ashamed of that, I'm a bit nervous about that. Paul's literally using it to do the opposite. He's literally using it to say, that because this is true, you don't have to be ashamed. That's amazing. But then this salvation doesn't remain before the ages began in this kind of, for us, ambiguous void of eternal past, eternity past. Verse 10 says, and which, so that grace is now, has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. See that? So what was given in eternity past that you couldn't see, that was invisible and hidden, is now manifest, seen, observed through, he says, the appearing of Jesus, who he calls our Savior. It was eternal, it was secret, but now it's public and it's historical. And how, did, how did he do this? How did he manifest? How did our Saviour manifest what was in eternity? What did he do? He abolished one thing and replaced it with another. He says he abolished death. What a claim. It's like I've been Aussie at the moment, right? Yeah. Still, like I was here a and that's it. There's a plan that I have, and you know, it's just one thing for me to claim, Hey, I got all the children to school on time today. Right, that's enough for me. Right? That's like, what are that? No, he, but he says he abolished death. Who gets to say that? <laughs> he abolished death, but death is our problem, right? The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve were told in the garden, the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. 
The Bible talks about death in a few different ways. Physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. Jesus abolishes them all. Physical death, if people still die, right? Paul's in prison and he knows that. He's about to die. But Jesus, what, but that has a time limit, right? One day there will be no more death. And actually, what Jesus has done is taken the sting out of death for the believer. Because our death is not actually our death. Right? It's entry into the new life. So Paul can kind of mock death in 1 Corinthians 2 Peter. Where, O oh death, is your sting? You know, bring it on death. Where is your victory? Why? Because death is just entering into life with Christ. So he's saying Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ, but to die, gain. More of Christ. He defeats physical death. Jesus says this in John 11, 25, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he also abolishes spiritual and eternal death. Right? We have communion with God now. Where there was death, that spiritual death between us and the Lord, we now get communion with him and we get it forever. We get eternal life. So Jesus says this in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes me, who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So then the positive side of abolishing death, so that's what he's abolished. What does he bring? What does he replace it with? And brought us, Paul says, life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let me just say that again. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So this life both, is both now physical, like we will have real physical bodies in the future, even after death, in the new heavens and new earth, resurrected bodies. It's physical and it's spiritual. We have, he says, immortality. Do you know? Do you think I'm immortal? You have immortal life. And that's coming for us all. So remember what Paul's trying to do again. There was this God's purpose and grace, and it was given to us before the ages began through Christ Jesus. That got manifested. It was seen. It can be observed when Jesus came, our Savior. Why? When he did what? He abolished death, and he gave us life and immortality. How did he do that? Through his death and his own resurrection. In his death. He destroys death. He wins the victory. And his resurrected life promises us our own resurrected forever more life. And that wraps up Paul's reminder to Timothy of the nature of the gospel. And he's saying, don't be ashamed of that. So put it to, I just want to put all that he's just said about the gospel in chronological order. Just because he's, you know. So just think through this. Would you be ashamed of this? God gives us grace before the ages. He manifests it then in Jesus Christ, who saves his people in real time, sanctifies them, he says, with a holy calling, and then glorifies his people by giving them life and mortality. Don't be ashamed. Now Paul speaks about the claim of the gospel in his life. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. He's just shown you the gospel, and now he's saying, and here's what the gospel, this is the kind of claims that the gospel makes in our lives. He says, verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. See, one of the claims that the gospel makes in our lives is that we will share this gospel. It's too good. It's too good not to tell other people. Paul says, I was appointed. No, he wasn't self-appointed. Paul was God-appointed. 
Right? God decided that Paul would no longer remain a persecutor of the church. He would no longer remain a hater of God and his son. He would, he would actually become a church planter. And he would actually become someone who would lead ministry into the, the nations for the sake of the gospel. So he became a, three things. He said, a preacher, proclaiming the gospel to the lost, an apostle, one who has encountered the risen Lord Jesus and walked in the authority, the apostolic authority amongst the early church, and a teacher. That is, he would teach God's word to God's people. Now you might think, well, that's an awesome calling. That, that, man, that's a lot of, you know, renown and fame and glory. Like, what a glorious thing to... You know, you must be pretty pumped about your you know, those kind of roles that God gave you. What does he say in verse 12? Which is why I suffer as I do. Claiming the gospel makes no lives not just to share the gospel, but to suffer for the gospel. Paul says, yeah, I'm a preacher. I'm an apostle and I'm a teacher. That's why I suffer. Because I am those things. If I weren't those things, I wouldn't be suffering. This is what happens when you identify with a crucified Messiah. So Jesus said, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, himself, how much more will they malign those of his household? Right, if we believe that Jesus is a saviour because he suffered, and we look at the master and we see a life of like marked by suffering and persecution and ultimately death, why would the servant, why would the person who follows him think that their life would not be similar? We would also suffer alongside him. What I love, and this kind of just indicates to me the love of Paul and just the way Paul does Timothy, is that this doesn't really have to say anything more than, yeah, that's that's why I suffer as I do. I don't know if they'll list out all his sufferings to Timothy, Timothy knows. That's why I suffer like I do. Like you know. He doesn't have to list it out. He listed other places. All the things that have come to his mind of Paul's life, the stones, the beatings, of the 40 lashes, the spines, the shipwrecks, the false teachers, the false accusations, the burden he had for the churches around the world that he planted around the world. Timothy knows all the suffering that he is experiencing right now. He sits in a prison in Rome awaiting his execution. He's saying, to Timothy, if you're going to be a faithful minister, if you're going to preach the word of God, this will, come, this will be for you too. You must be willing to suffer for it. And same for us. There is an inescapable offense to the gospel. Whatever you want to do, whatever tricks you want to make with the gospel, there's an inescapable reality that there is an offense to it. But we are saying that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And you need a savior. That's offensive. Um, Murray Kappa was the, the principal of a theological college down in Melbourne. And I heard him use this illustration once. And like you just imagine if you had a friend who was a, a plastic surgeon. And and the plastic surgeon uh, said to you once, he said, hey, whenever you're ready, I'm happy to fix your face. Because like, hmm. that's, 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 I wasn't aware. <laughs> that's, 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 if you notice, like, I can fix that. Don't, that what you got going on there. Yeah. Hmm. That's offensive. Though. Natural. Yeah, inherently pretty offensive. But we are saying to a person, hey, I know how to fix your heart. I know how to fix your soul. 
Like I know that there's a savior with everything about you. But that, we don't love to hear that in a culture that's brought up on like self-esteem and like believe in myself and like that that's the highest attribute is to actuate myself, you know, then that, that's not going to be meant well. And when people oppose that message, don't be surprised when they might oppose the messenger. So then he continues in verse 12 still. He says, but I am not ashamed for, or because, why are you not ashamed, Paul? He says, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He says, first of all, I know whom I have believed. I'm not ashamed because I know him. If you've been in a conversation with someone and they're having a go at someone that maybe they don't realize that you know them, and they're having a go at them, and you're like, I know that. that. That's not what that, that wouldn't be true. I know that. Paul's like, and so you stick up for them. You don't want to be ashamed of someone that you know. Paul says, ashamed of Christ? I know him. I know. So Christ is not just a set of doctrines. It's not a bit of theology. It's not an idea that he has accepted. He goes, I know whom I have believed. So it's not just a belief. No, I know the person whom I have believed. People sometimes say, Sam, like I've had that conversation with Sam, what, what would it take for you to leave the faith? Like, what would it take for you? Like, it would be very hard for me to not be a Christian. Why? Because I know him. I've come to know the Lord. It's going to be really hard for me to walk away from that. And then he says, I am convinced. Paul says, I have conviction. I have no doubt that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul says, I know part of what I know about him is he is able. My God is able. I'm not ashamed of the one who is able to what? To guard, to protect, to be like a shield in the front of him. Guarding. To guard until that day. What day? Judgment day. The day of the Lord. Paul does not have many days left. He will guard, I know him, he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What has been entrusted to Paul is his salvation, his ministry, the gospel. God has entrusted that to him and God guards it. That is so common. That is so common because we, we are removed some 2,000 years from when Jesus came as a saviour. How can we know that the gospel I'm preaching right now is the gospel? It's the same thing. Right? It could be as, you know, it, that it's not a terrible case of Chinese whispers, right? I know if that's a racist or not, but is there another word for Chinese whispers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, anyway, what's it called? The telephone game. The telephone game, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's terrible. Um, yeah, it's not a bad, we played it in the car on the way to church today, just so I could go, hmm, I wonder if this is good point and then so we we did and yep it works Chinese telephone game is um yeah it's not good right it began with lollipop and it ended with lily pet lily pet now I have five kids and so it's got a better way to get through the car and so by the time of lollipop to lily pet that's an issue how can we know that the gospel has not gone through that says, I know I know the one I know him he is able to guard that which he is, which he is entrusted to me. Verse 13. 
Paul now turns to Timothy. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It's all about the gospel. Now notice he describes the gospel in two different ways. This is verse 13. It's the pattern of sound words, true words, pure words, correct words. See, there's a pattern to the preaching of the gospel throughout the centuries. We can see it in the Bible. We can test the preaching today. Is it according to the same pattern? Like, do not distort this thing. If you, Paul says, follow it. Like, follow that pattern. But don't add to the gospel. Don't subtract from the gospel. Don't think you can make it better. That would mean you're ashamed of it. But notice what Paul says to do. He says to do it, that is, follow the pattern in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So as you preach Christ, represent Christ. Like there's a way of suffering for preaching the gospel, which is not actually suffering for preaching the gospel. It's suffering because you're being a bit of a, a jerk about. Right? You're being arrogant. You're being rude. Preach Christ and represent Christ. Do it in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So then in verse 14, the gospel is called what? The good deposit entrusted to you. It's a good deposit. So it's not just sound words. It's not just true and correct. It's factual. It's actually good. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's precious. It's a treasure to be cared for. So Paul says, guard it. Like if it's precious, we've got to guard it. Remember what we just said. Paul's just glory that God guards that which was entrusted to him. God guards the gospel. And now Paul guards it. Paul passes it on to Timothy and says, guard it. And then he says, but he reminds him that we need God's help. So he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So it's just the constant, just the two things always going on. You need to guard the gospel because God's guarding the gospel. How often do you think about your job in guarding the gospel? You want to do it if you're ashamed of it. And Jesus and Paul warned the church constantly, the people of God constantly, that false teachers arise from outside the people of God and from inside the people of God. That happens. He wouldn't say guard it if it were not under a constant and consistent attack. And we have a role, each one of us, maybe you don't realize, you have a role in guarding the gospel. So Paul will write to the congregation in Galatia and say, hey, if anyone comes preaching to a different gospel, is the one I preach to you? Right? He's not talking to the leaders of Galatia, he's talking to the people of Galatia. But the church there, he says, hey, let me be accursed. But if they get the gospel wrong, that's, that's, that's your job. You've got to guard it. It's too precious. So finally, Paul gives... And the final verses, both negative and positive examples of everything he's just said. Negative examples of people who became ashamed of him, but a positive example of someone who is certainly not ashamed of him. This is beautiful. It says in verse 15, he says, You are aware, Timothy, you are aware, just how, how aware they are of each other, they, they know each other. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Part of the suffering that Paul experienced for the gospel, was that people who were with him deserted him. Uh, they must have been with him, otherwise you can't, you can't desert what you won't wear. So they were once partners with him, and they left him. He says, just everyone in Asia. At one point he said, I preach the gospel in all of Asia. That's probably not every person in Asia. 
Like, but it feels like that. Just everyone just deserted me, like you know to me. Like they just left me. Fight jealous and homogeny is a name, but I don't know. This is the only time they're named. Like, what a sad thing. Only time you named in the Bible. It's just fleeting. You deserted a faithful apostle. I don't know why they're named. Maybe they're the ones that hurt the most. Maybe they were the ringleaders of the, the people who deserted it all. But they were ashamed of a faithful minister of the gospel. But that's not all Paul's known. Right? He's also known good things for people. Verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of one support, for he often refreshed me. Once for us means a bringer, his name means a bringer of profit. He totally lived up to his name. What it means for. Paul's like, he refreshed me. You know, some people are just so refreshing. And I think the main characteristic of someone who's super refreshing is they're thinking of the other person. They're not thinking about themselves. They're not in that conversation for their own sake. They're just here to refresh you. And once of course, was one of those people. Like, you just long for them in your church, don't you? They're just so refreshing. He says, he was, and he was not ashamed of my chains. His chains, that's not a metaphor for prison. He's in actual chains. Every time the, the New Testament uses chains, it's literal. He's in chains. He's like, uh, he wasn't ashamed of it. Verse 17 says, But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. So he left his home and went to Rome to find Paul. And he searched, he searched, and he searched. Like, that just gives you a picture of the state of Paul at the moment. Like, he's not, this is not well known. Like, he's just stuck in some back corner, in some dungeon, in chains, in Rome. And he has to search, and he has to search, but he did not stop, he says, until he found him. And so Paul, I think, explodes in prayer for him. And he says, may the Lord grant him to him, to, sorry, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you will well know all, all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Left us, went to Rome, loved Paul, Paul's life. And this is the only mention of him in the Bible as well. Like, these are great people to meet in heaven, aren't they? Like, just one mention, not a superstar, didn't do much fantastic. Like, this is not like headline or conference speaker type dude. He just went and loved and was refreshing to the Apostle Paul. Right? These are the heroes of the faith, I think. One mention, he refreshed me. He was not ashamed of me. And he searched for me. And so Paul prays for him. He says, Lord, show him mercy. It's like, he was merciful to me. Lord, show mercy to him. And that's one of the, that's one of the Beatitudes. Right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. For he's one of those guys. Right? May he, Paul used the word find. Like, may he find mercy. Just the way he came and he found me. May on that day, that day, judgment day, may he find from you, Lord, mercy. What a prayer to pray for He was unashamed of Paul. Lord, may you not be ashamed of him. And that's the passage. So the application is really just one thing. That's not being ashamed of the gospel. Or of the faithful people of God. Let's not do that. Let's take courage. We may be the bad guys at times. And that's okay. But that is coming. We'll be vindicated. And it just doesn't make much sense after reading all of that and seeing all of that to be ashamed of it. I just don't like I, I love the Brisbane Lions. I'm a massive Brisbane Lions fan. If they won the premiership this year, would I be ashamed of them? It wouldn't make any sense. 
one of my children winning the Olympics right now and won a gold medal, when I'd be like, I'm so ashamed of this. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. He abolished death. He gave you life and immortality. He gave you grace before the ages began. <coughs> Do not be ashamed of him. All his people, his claims that the gospel makes in their lives, to proclaim it, to suffer for it, and to guard it. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.